Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. We're back tonight and we're going to get into the scriptures as usual. We're going to be reading from Proverbs, and the Masoretic, uh, Masoretic family manuscripts, and comparing that with the Septuagint family of manuscripts. We're also going to be reading from the, the uh, Wisdom of Solomon, the Odes of Solomon. Specifically, we are going to be reading Proverbs 22 through 26, Wisdom of Solomon 7, uh, excuse me, 9 and 10, and Odes of Solomon 17 through 20. Amen. So welcome everyone on TikTok, on Podbean, and on all the other different platforms that you where you may be watching. Uh, we are streaming live on several different platforms. Tomorrow night, we have a special guest. We have uh, New Testament scholar, Dr. Robert M. Price with us. On Saturday, we have another special guest at 2 p.m. Um, by the way, tomorrow is 7 p.m. Eastern. Saturday is 2 p.m. Eastern, and we'll have Yitzhak from uh, TikTok. Uh, he's got a channel over there called Taste of Torah. So he will be with us, Lord willing, on Saturday. And um, as time goes on, uh, we will get other different um, guests with us, ranging with uh, a wide range of topics, a wide range of topics. There's, there's a lot of things that we can be talking about. And so I'm looking forward to what the future has in store. So what I'm going to be doing here, I am going to do similar to what I did last night. I'm going to be reading through the scriptures and afterwards getting to your questions. In the meantime, if you have a question or a comment, like something that's uh, that's not too involved, uh, I will be answering those. Uh, the bigger questions I will answer at the end of uh, at the end of the of the uh, of the video. So um, just wondering what we have here on. Let me see where we're going to start. YouTube. We have Colomentos says Shalom, everyone. One John says Shalom. Psalm 94 says shalom to all. Mark says shalom. Welcome, welcome, and welcome, you guys. Blessings multiplied to you guys as always. One John says, is Hannah actually live or recording of her playing live? Actually live. She is actually live. She does something new uh, every night, and uh, yes, so she is actually live. It's something fresh and new. Every night, not pre-recorded. All right, guys. So um, let's begin. This is Proverbs. Now, again, just a quick little recap for those of you who may be joining us live now and perhaps even a replay. If you haven't seen the other uh, past, let's say, three, uh, three videos that we've done, what we're doing is we're comparing the Masoretic to the Septuagint in regards to the Proverbs. And someone might say, why would you do that? Well, for those of you who have been with me the past few nights, you know that there's a lot that we miss if we don't do that. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of proverbs. There's a lot of things that are in one and not in the other and vice versa. And so I think it's just interesting. I think that it's very educational. Uh, I think that it's something that everyone should know, especially if you consider yourself a serious believer. You should be knowing these things. And so that's why we are studying that. So someone might say, what is the Masoretic and what is the Septuagint? Well, most English Bibles today 
are based upon the Masoretic text. Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking about the New Testament. I'm talking about the so-called Old Testament or the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures. Most of the Hebrew, or excuse me, most of the English Bibles are translated from the Hebrew Masoretic text. And the Masoretic text has been in the works for many years, but it wasn't really finalized, they say, until about 900 and something, about the 10th century. So almost a thousand years after uh, even the New Testament times, uh, the Masoretic has been finalized. And that would be like more than a thousand years after the actual Tanakh. Um, that would be like, what, uh, 1400 years or so uh, after uh, the typical Old Testament, so-called, is uh, or was um, was written. So um, it took a long time for the Masoretic text to come to where it is today. Now, the Septuagint, on the on the other hand, is not. It, it is. It's the same books. It's Genesis through Malachi, the same scope of Scripture, the so-called Old Testament or the Tanakh, except it is translated into Greek. So back in the days of, um, you know, back, well, we know that Alex, Alexander the Great is, uh, was the one who really brought the Greek language into that part of the world. But we have uh, King Ptolemy uh, and, uh, and uh, people that were associated with him and in and around his time. Uh, they said, well, since Greek, since Greek is like the, the, the language of, uh, of reading and writing, why don't we translate the, the Hebrew scriptures into Greek? Novel idea. And so they did that. And they started with the books of Moses back about 200, 250 BC, 2,200 years ago. And so they translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek for the same reason that we have uh, English Bibles today. Um, it's like, well, you know, most of the part of that world was uh, people who were literate in Greek. They could read and write Greek and so, or at least read Greek, at least that much. Uh, so uh, the idea is, since Greek is like the, the mother tongue, so to speak, or the mother language, especially when it comes to reading and writing, maybe not so much spoken, but reading and writing anyway, um, like the idea is let's translate the uh, the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. Why have scriptures around that nobody can really understand? And so they started doing that, starting with the books of Moses, and then they went to the um, they went to the prophets a little bit later after that, and they were translating the prophets as well. So the the Septuagint, and I have a hard copy of it right here, is um is one of the oldest families of manuscripts around. Well, do I have that upside down? <laughs> I have it upside down. Yeah, there we are. The Septuagint with the Apocrypha is what I got here. Brenton. Now there are two. There, Brenton is the English translation of the Greek translation of the ancient Hebrew. Uh, so uh, there is Brenton. There's another uh, famous or more like a popular one as well. N-E-T-S as well. Uh, which is, uh, is 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 quite popular as well. I'm not sure if it's po more popular than Brenton, probably not, but just, just so you guys know, there are different translations of the Septuagint out there as well. I have the Brenton here in hard copy, and I'm actually reading from the Brenton as well. Uh, for those of you who are on TikTok, I, um, what I'm doing here is I am going to, in just a moment, I'm going to be reading from Proverbs 
uh, and I'm going to I'm going to compare the two major uh, manuscript families, the Masoretic and the and the Septuagint, and there are it's quite different. They're quite different. Everyone should actually know this. Um, if you want to actually see what I'm doing, like see what I'm reading, uh, I would highly recommend you go over to uh, to to YouTube. Go to YouTube and look me up over there. It's Christopher Enoch. You'll find me live right now. I'm I'm streaming live right now on YouTube. Or you can just uh, go to my bio in TikTok and there's a link to my YouTube channel. You can get to that right away. Um, yeah, so this is what we're doing. We're reading from... I'm, I'm reading from the New King James and the Brenton and comparing because the New King James is trans, is based upon the Masoretic text. All right, guys. Uh, let's see. We got a few more comments here before we go. Uh, Callie says, hey, my friends. Hello. Welcome, welcome. Blessings multiply to you. Says just got off work 30 minutes ago. Hopefully it was a good day at work today. Uh, one John says, then... Where does the Samaritan fit into this? So the Samaritan, you know, I got a hard copy of it here. Actually, I'm not sure. I don't think you can get this online. Uh, but the Samaritan is only, for those of you on TikTok, there you are there, the Israelite Samaritan version of the Torah. Um, this is only the Torah, being the only the books of Moses. So... Yeah, uh, and it is, uh, I wish I could go through every single word of this online, but I think that, um, you know, I think I, I would be limited because of the copyright on this, but this is a very uh, useful resource as well if, for those of you who are serious about Bible study. So that's that just includes the, the books of Moses and not the prophets, not the Ketuvim. Uh, so that's why we're not, that's one of the reasons why we're not using that today. All right, guys. Very good question. Thank you very much, one John. And Tammy says, Shalom all from the group. And shalom to you guys. And blessings multiplied to you guys. Great to see you back. I pray this will be a blessing to you. Travis, question is, on a scale from one to Paul, how righteous is the NIV version of the Bible? How righteous? Um, well, um, one of the things, okay, the NIV is not like it's not that bad. I wouldn't say it's. It, there are several translations that I would I would consider to be more um, accurate than that, uh, but it's not that bad. And I mean, back in the early days when I first started walking with God, I'm telling you, I mean, God did a lot of things in my life, and God used the NIV in my life in spite of its shortcomings, in spite of its translation that things that I didn't know back then, but I know now, um, like for like, I mean, we can get into a lot about the NIV. Um, one of the things, one of the things that I don't like about the NIV is it's, it's very, um, how would I say this? It is, okay, so it, it's translated with Original sin overtones. That's one of the, that's one of the things that I don't like about it. Uh, a lot of the other translations don't have those kind of uh, translation 
problems, <laughs> for lack of a better word to put it. Um, I mean, it's not something that I would ban from my house. I mean, it's not something like that. Not, you know, it's not something that I would condemn anybody for having. Uh, I would highly recommend they get other translations as well and compare the, compare the translations and, you know, use some good old critical thinking and uh, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it's not, put it this way, if you, if it, the top three translations, I wouldn't have the NIV in the top three. So, you know, I hope that helps there, Travis. Okay, guys, let's get into this. Um, now, again, for those of you who are on TikTok, I, I am going to be sharing my screen on YouTube. If you want to see what I'm doing, please go on over to YouTube um, if you're interested in this. Oh, sorry about that one, John. Um, one John says, uh, I meant historically, like was the Samaritan taken from the Septuagint or was it written before or after the Septuagint? Uh, so the Samaritan, to the best of my knowledge, was uh, is dated around the same time of the Septuagint. Um, it's about it's about the same age. However, it's not the same family of manuscripts, so it wasn't translated from the uh, from the Septuagint, and neither vice versa. Uh, so it's kind of like in its own family. It's it's it is. It's in its own league, but it is about as old, if not perhaps even older than the, than the Septuagint. Thank you very much. That's a good question. Travis says, thank you very, uh, thank you. Thank you, Travis. All right, let's do it, guys. This is Proverbs chapter 22. Now, for those of you who are on YouTube right now, on the left-hand side, we have the Mesoretic. On the right-hand side, we have the Septuagint. Let's take this step by step. We'll start with the Mesoretic. Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. Septuagint. A fair name is better than much wealth. A good And good favor is above silver and gold. Okay, so it's different, but not that different. I mean, a good name versus a fair name. Actually, this word good in, in the Masoretic is not even in the Masoretic. Uh, it's just a name. Uh, and here it says a fair name. Um, and loving favor uh, as opposed to good favor. Next verse. This is Proverbs chapter 22, verse 2. Masoretic. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Septuagint. The rich and the poor meet together, but the Lord made them both. Different way of putting it. Verse 3. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some people. Verse 3 in the Septuagint. An intelligent man seeing a bad man severely punished is himself instructed, <laughs> learning from somebody else's mistakes, basically. But fools pass by and are punished. Okay, so it, it, we have we have a difference here. It's not as much of a difference as some in some places, but so we have in the Masoretic we have a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. Now this is more like I I interpret this as like saying, okay, if you're smart, you're wise, you you foresee the future here, you you see evil coming. Let's make sure we are, you know, we're not going to 
let's just make sure we're not in the wrong place in the wrong time here. Okay, let's make sure we're uh, we're good. Uh, let's let's uh, keep ourselves from evil. Whereas in the Septuagint, it sounds completely different. An intelligent man seeing a bad man severely punished is himself instructed. Like I said, like, you know, learning from somebody else's mistakes. Quite is different. Um, verse four. Sorry for the happy scrolling here. Verse four, uh, Mesoretic. By humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Septuagint, the fear of the Lord is the offspring of wisdom and wealth and glory and life. Huh. By the, okay, Mesoretic, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Whereas in the Septuagint, they, they say by the fear of the Lord, or excuse me, the fear of the Lord is the offspring of wisdom wealth, glory, and life. So we see there are different things. It mentions wisdom here, and it doesn't in the Masoretic. It mentions um, uh, wealth would be the same as riches. Glory would be very close to honor, life, and life. But in the Masoretic, it mentions humility, but not in the Septuagint. And this is what I, this is what I mean. Like, it's, I think it's, you know, there should be, I'm pretty sure there are, there are Bibles out there that actually have, have them side by side. But, you know, as, as we're reading the Proverbs, I think it's a very good idea to have them side by side like this to get, to get like all you can get, basically. You know, we got a buffet here. Get them both. Verse five, Mesoretic, thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse he who guards his soul will be far from them. Septuagint, thistles and snares are in perverse ways, but he that keeps his soul will refrain from them. Similar. Um, verse 6, Masoretic, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, footnote, even... Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In the Septuagint, that's nowhere to be found. It's not there at all. It's omitted. Verse 7. Mesoretic. The, riches, the rich rules over the poor, and the, bo the borrower is servant to the lender. Masoretic, or excuse me, Septuagint, the rich rule over the poor and servants will lend to their own masters. Similar. Verse 8, Masoretic, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. Uh, foot, footnote says trouble. He sows, you know, you know that, right? Iniquity might be fun at the time, but you know, trouble comes. He who sows iniquity will, will reap sorrow or trouble and the rod of his anger will fall, or excuse me, will fail. And the rod of his anger will fail. Now, see what we got here in the Septuagint. We got a lot more. We've got a lot more here. Uh, almost double the amount of words anyway. Let's read it. He that sows wickedness shall reap troubles. Okay, very similar to the first part of the Masoretic verse and shall fully receive punishment of his deeds. Now, that's different than what the Masoretic says. Um, and then we have this whole thing that's added in here. God loves a cheerful and liberal man, 
I wonder if this is where God, Paul got his, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. It could be this is where Paul got that from. Paul or God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful and liberal man, but a man shall fully prove the folly of his works. Hmm. That's interesting. Verse 9. Masoretic. He who has a generous eye, generous eye in the footnote, a literally good eye, will be blessed. I think the word good should be in there instead of generous, actually. Uh, for he gives his bread to the poor. Now, look at it again. We have, in the Septuagint, we have a lot more um, than it is in the Masoretic. The Septuagint says, He that has pity on the poor shall himself be maintained. For he has given of his own bread to the poor. Hmm. Quite different, especially the first part. Comparing he who has a generous or good eye will be blessed. Compare that with he that has pity on the poor shall himself be maintained. Uh, vaguely similar, but different. Now, again, here we got in the Septuagint, we have a whole nother part. Uh, it's almost like a whole nother verse that's added here. He that gives liberally secures victory and honor, but he that takes away the life of them that possesses them. Excuse me. But he takes away the life of them that possesses them. So that's quite a bit different. Verse 10 in the Masoretic, cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. <laughs> I think about, you know, all the stuff that I go through, especially in the TikTok comments. Cast, cast out the, uh, the scoffer. Ban the scoffer and contention will leave. Strife and reproach will cease. Verse 10 of the Septuagint cast out a pestilent person. That's quite the uh, lingo there, isn't it? Pestilent person. Cast out a pestilent person. Imagine calling someone, hey, man, you're pestilent. Call, cast out a pestilent person from the council and strife will go out with him. For, he, for when he sits in the council, he dishonors all. Hmm. All of these Proverbs are just, just so rich, aren't they? Verse 11, Masoretic. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. Septuagint. The Lord loves holy hearts, and all blameless persons are acceptable with him. A king rules with his lips. Wow. This is almost like, like messing up. The, this is like playing. This is like Scrabble, right? I mean, you got... The words are all, is like if you take the words from the Mesoretic and mix them up, you've got what the Septuagint says, and or vice versa. <laughs> so uh, let's read this again, just to, just, to just to kind of meditate on this for a moment. So the Mesoretic says, He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. Now, compare that with the Septuagint. The Lord loves holy hearts. Now, you see, in the Mesoretic, it says nothing about the Lord. And all blameless persons are acceptable with him. It doesn't say that in the Masoretic either. And a, cool, and a king rules with his lips. Now it says in the Masoretic, the king will be his friend. Previous to that, it says, he who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips. 
So it seems like they took grace on his lips and king and and friend. Seems like this word acceptable um, is kind of mixed with this word friend. Um, the word, uh, let's say, or sorry, grace and acceptable, right? Um, uh, this is a mix-up, isn't it? It's a mix-up of words. A king rule. A king rules with his lips. It's like they take this part and kind of separate that out on the. They take the part on his lips, comma the king. In the Masoretic, and just kind of cut that out and put it at the end uh, of the Septuagint. And again, it could have been it could have been the other way around, you know. So I mean, I don't want to make it look like they, the Septuagint is the one that messed it up. It could have been the Masoretic that was me that messed it up. Actually, since the Masoretic is older than the Septuagint, well. Uh, it, le it would lead us to believe that that is more likely the case. Okay. Masoretic, verse 12. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the faithless. Septuagint. But the eyes of the Lord preserve discretion, but the transgressor despises wise words. How different do we have this? So it starts out with the same phrase, the eyes of the Lord preserve. Now, in the Masoretic, we have just, we have knowledge versus discretion in the Septuagint. Um, and, but in the Masoretic, it says, but he overthrows the words of the faithless. Com compare that with, but the transgressor despises w wise words. Again, this word wise is not even in the in the original Greek, um, but the transgressor despises words. Hmm. This is amazing. This is interesting. They got words. Those two are some uh, are they have that alike? The word words uh, overthrows could be despised. Um, despises and the faithless could be the transgressor. Like again, it's like a mix of words. It's kind of mixed up. Hmm. Verse 13, Masoretic. The lazy man says there is a lion outside. Oh, we better not go outside. It's a lion outside. It's too scary out there. I shall be slain in the streets. The Septuagint says the sluggard makes excuses and says there is a lion in the ways and murderers in the streets. Hmm. So we have added things in there. We got excuses added or taken away in the Masoretic. It's not there in the, in the Masoretic. Murderers is in the Septuagint, but not, not in the Masoretic. Um, and... Apart from those major differences, it's pretty much the same. Verse 14, Masoretic. The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. He who, he who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. Wow. Think about that for a moment. It's like... it. it you can't help but say this is this says you know in in a, in different words in other words this says if you are abhorred by the lord 
the Lord will make sure that you fall in the pit of the immoral woman. <laughs> Basically, the mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. He who ab- he who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. Or, in other words, if you are in, if you are abhorred by the Lord, you will be taken or deceived by the immoral woman. More, more accurately, I think. Okay, so let's see what we got here in the Septuagint. The mouth of a transgressor is a deep pit. So there's no there's no uh, mention of a woman here. Now we saw this earlier a couple of days ago as well, right? Like where it says woman in the Masoretic, it doesn't say that in the in the Septuagint at all. For the mouth of a transgressor is a deep pit. As you know, compare that with the mouth of an the mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. Hmm. And he that is hated of the Lord shall fall into it. Very similar to, pretty much the same, just different wording, means the same as what the Masoretic says. However, we have this whole entire added verse in here. Um, so, and we don't have this in the Masoretic at all. Again, like, did they did did the Septuagint translators add this, or did the Masoretic? Subtract it. Here it is. This is in the Septuagint, not in the Masoretic. You're not going to find this in the typical English Bible unless your unless your English Bible is based upon the Septuagint, which a few of them are, but it's just the minority of them are. So it says, "Evil ways are before a man, and he who does not like to turn away from them." But it is needful to turn aside from a perverse and a bad way. Let me read that again. Evil ways are before a man, and he does not like to turn away from them. But it is needful to turn aside from a perverse and bad way. Hmm. So, that's not even found in the Masoretic at all. Verse 15, Masoretic, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Septuagint, folly is attached to the heart of a child, and the rod, but the rod and instruction are then far, far from him. Huh. Again, it's like this is like, you know, it's like half full versus half empty. You see how that's worded? It's like half full versus half empty. We, we see this so many times uh, between the Mesoretic and the, and, and the Septuagint. So the first part is very much the same, similar to the Mesoretic. Fully, fool, excuse me. Folly is attached to the heart of the child compared to foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It means pretty much the same thing. But the last part in the Septuagint, but the rod and instruction are then far from him, is like the opposite to the, the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. So it's like, it's like the Septuagint is saying that the reason why um, there's foolishness in the heart of, of a child would be 
because there's of of the lack of in, uh, of discipline and instruction. Whereas the Masoretic sounds like there is foolishness bound up in the heart of the child, and the rod of correction or discipline will will drive it far from him. Very interesting. Let's move on. This is uh, verse 16 now. Mesoretic, he who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. Septuagint, he that oppresses the poor increases his own substance, yet gives to the rich so as to make it less. He that oppresses the poor and, and increases his own substance, yet gives to the rich so as to make it less. Hmm. So the major the major difference is so as to make it less as you know as opposed to will surely come to poverty. Hmm. Interesting. Verse seventeen, Masoretic. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. And apply your heart to my knowledge. Septuagint, incline your ears to the words of the wise men. Hear also my word and apply your heart. Uh, similar. Verse 18. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them all be fixed upon your lips. Septuagint, that you may know that they are good and that and if you lay them to heart they shall also gladden you on your lips and again it's like we have words all changed around isn't it all right because we have like okay so the first part of the septuagint version that you may know that they are good Compare that for it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. But for is it a pleasant thing is really what that would compare to. And if and if you lay them to heart in the in the Septuagint is compared to if you keep them within you in the Masoretic, they shall also gladden you on your lips. Compare that with let them all be fixed upon your lips. So it doesn't say anything about gladden. In the Masoretic. Verse 19. Masoretic, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. Verse 19 in the Septuagint, that your hope may be in the Lord, and he may make he may make uh, your way known to you. Hmm. Similar. Verse 20, Masoretic, have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge, Septuagint, and do you too repeatedly record them for yourself on the table of your heart for counsel and knowledge? So the last part is the last few words are the same, but what in the world happened to the first part? The first part of the Masoretic, have I not written to you excellent things, as opposed to, 
and do you not, or do you too repeatedly record? I guess you could really unpack this. Like, have I not written? Like, unpack that to say, and do you, and do too repeatedly record them for yourself? So this is like saying, you know, the the author is basically saying, have I not written to you? Whereas the Septuagint is like, it's not the author saying, it's like you are writing it, writing them for yourself on the table of your heart. Have I not written to you excellent things? It says nothing about the heart uh, in the Masoretic text. Verse 21, that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth. Septuagint, I therefore teach you truth and knowledge good to hear, that you may answer words of truth to them that question you. Hmm. Again, lots of added stuff in here, isn't there? You got teach, that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth. Compare that to that I may teach you truth and knowledge good to hear. Yeah, knowledge good to hear is not even in the Masoretic at all, that you may answer words of truth to them that question you. Hmm. Yep. Oh, sorry, I left the the last part out here in the Masoretic. To those who uh, who send to you, uh, as opposed to, you know, to them that question you. Verse 22, Masoretic. Do not rob the poor because he is poor nor oppress the afflicted at the gates. Now, in the Septuagint, this is called saying to. Saying to. Do not, or do no violence to the poor. So we got rob in the Masoretic versus violence in the Septuagint. For he is needy, as opposed to he is poor. Neither dishonor the helpless man in the gates, versus nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. So instead of dishonor, we have oppressed. Instead of helpless, we have afflicted. Verse 23. For the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. Septuagint, for the Lord will plead his cause and you shall deliver your soul in safety. That last part's not even in there at all in the, in the Masoretic, is it? For, and you shall deliver your soul in safety versus and the plunder and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. Yeah, so we have two completely different things here. Plunder the soul of those who plunder them. I guess you would say that you could you could wrap that up into this here where it says in the Masoretic, plead his cause. Perhaps the Lord pleading his cause would would include plundering the soul of those who plunder them um, in a vague sense. But this last part, and you shall deliver your soul and shall and you shall deliver your soul in safety is not in the Masoretic at all. Verse 24. Uh, Masoretic. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go. 
Now in the Septuagint, we got this sectioned off as saying three. Be not, a, be not companion to a, fu a furious man. Okay, so that's pretty much the same as the Masoretic. Neither lodge with a passionate man, opposed to, and with a furious man, do not go. Okay, it's similar. Verse 25, Masoretic, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Septuagint, lest you learn of his ways and get snares to your soul. Pretty much the same. Verse 26, Masoretic, do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for debts. Compare that to the Septuagint, become not surety from respect of a man's person. Hmm, very different again. In the footnotes, we have strikes, literally strikes hands. In other words, do not be one of those who strikes hands in a pledge or shakes hands in a pledge. One of those who is surety for debt or guarantee or a guarantor, basically, for debt. Uh, and again, in the Septuagint, it's like, be not surety from respect of a man's person. Quite different. Verse 27 in the Masoretic, if you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? I mean, if you're a guarantor. Verse 27 of the Septuagint, for if you have not whence to give compensation, they will take the bed that is under you. Well, it's, very, it's similar. Verse 28, Masoretic, do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Or in the, oh, what did I do there? In the um, footnotes, the boundary. Do not remove the ancient boundary or landmark which your fathers have set. Septuagint, remove not the old landmarks which your father fathers placed. Pretty much the same. Again, this is this is sectioned off as saying five. It's not sectioned off as saying five in the in the Masoretic. Quick little side note again, because we have new people on TikTok, I am reading comparing the two families of manuscripts. If you want to see what I'm reading, you can. Uh, I just can't do it on TikTok. You have to go over to YouTube. I'm streaming live right now on YouTube on my YouTube channel. Just go over there, Christopher Enoch on YouTube. You can actually see exactly what I'm doing because I'm comparing the two um, side by side using a screen share. Verse 29, Masoretic. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown man. Unknown in the um, subtu or the footnotes, obscure. Verse 29 in the Septuagint is under the subtitle saying six. It is fit that an observant man and one diligent in his business should attend on kings and not attend on slothful men. Quite a bit different, right? Quite a bit different. We got, he he will not stand before unknown men. That's not even in there. Unless you can possibly bend this to make it mean that. And, he, and not attend on slothful men. But it's quite a bit different. 
Let's go to Proverbs 23. Verse 1, Masoretic. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. Septuagint. If you sit, if you sit to sup at the table of a prince, consider attentively the things set before you. Pretty much the same. Verse 2, Masoretic. And put a knife to your throat if a man, if you are a man given to appetite. Septuagint says a little bit more than that. And apply your hand, knowing that it behooves you to prepare such meats. But if you are very insatiable, hmm, it says quite different, quite different in the Septuagint. Verse 3. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Septuagint, desire not his provisions. Different than delicacies. Provisions, for these belong to a false life. (laughs) That's a different way of putting it. Instead of saying uh, they are deceptive food, these belong to a false life. These being the provisions. Verse 4, Mesoretic, do not overwork to be rich. There's a lot of people that do that, right? Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. In the Septuagint, it is under saying eight. Yeah, I kind of like it kind of divided into sayings like this. If you are poor, measure not yourself with a rich man, but refrain yourself in your wisdom. Wow, that's different. That's different. Uh, what more can I say? It's pretty much completely different. Verse 5 in the Masoretic. Now we have a footnote here, but let's read this for what it says first. Will you, will you set your eyes on that which is rich, which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an evil toward heaven, like an eagle toward heaven. Now, in the footnote, instead of will you set your eyes on that which is not, it says literally, will you cause your eyes to fly upon it and it is not. The Septuagint, I like the way this is, it it puts it here, um, says if you should fix your eyes upon him, he will disappear. Now, this is not talking about things. See, over here in the Masoretic, it's talking about things, right? But in the Septuagint, it's talking about a person, doesn't it? Like in the context in verse 4, if you are poor, measure not yourself with a rich man, but refrain yourself in your wisdom. If you shall fix your eyes upon him, he will disappear. So in the Septuagint, you have the same concept brought to us in the Masoretic, in a different way, but it's the same concept, but it's an, it's brought in in a very different way. Because in the Masoretic, it talks about riches apart from, like it, it separates riches from the people. Whereas in the Septuagint, it talks about, it, it really, uh, not so much riches in and of itself, but a rich being rich or a rich person, rich man. Very interesting. If you should fix your eyes 
on him. He will disappear. For wings like eagles are prepared for him, and he returns to the house of his master. <laughs> so that's a different way of putting it, as opposed to riches certainly make themselves wings, and they fly away like an eagle toward heaven. <laughs> so, you know, I think that the Septuagint is more clear and makes more sense to me than this, really, in the Masoretic. Now, I understand the Masoretic, what the Masoretic is saying, and that riches are, you know, from dust to dust, so to speak, but it makes more sense to me the way the, the Septuagint puts it, you know, that uh, don't fix yourself upon, the, don't fix your eyes upon the rich man, uh, for he will disappear. For wings like eagles are prepared for him, and he returns to the house of his, ma his master. He turns to the house of his master um, compared to riches or money, basically, um, making themselves wings and flying away like an e e eagle toward heaven. Why, like, why would riches fly toward heaven? Right? Why would money fly to heaven? But here it makes more sense. If you got a rich man returns to the house of his master, more or less, you know, he passes away and the spirit goes back to, the, to God, so to speak. Verse 6, Masoretic. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. Footnote. Literally, one who has an evil eye. Septuagint, under the subtitle, saying nine, sup not with an envious man, neither desire his meats. Verse seven, Masoretic, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. <laughs> I know people like this. At least I, I, I know, I... I have been through that kind of thing. Here, you know, here, here. And then when I take it, it's like, how dare you take it? Um, verse 7 in the um, Septuagint. So he eats and drinks as if one should swallow a hair and do not bring him bring him in to, to yourself, nor eat your morsel with him. Now that's quite different. That's quite different. So again, in the Masoretic, for he, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Compare that to, for uh, so he eats and drinks as as if anyone should swallow a hair, and do not bring him in to yourself, nor eat your morsel with him. Hmm. Quite different, right? Isn't that quite different than the Masoretic? Verse 8, Masoretic. The morsel you have eaten, you will, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Verse 8 in the Septuagint. For he will vomit it up and spoil your fair words. Verse 9 in the, in the Masoretic. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. In other words, don't waste your breath on him. Don't waste your words on him. In the Septuagint, it is under the subtitle of saying 10. Again, I like these subtitles. Kind of organizes it better. 
Say not say nothing in the ears of a fool, lest at any time he sneer at your wise words. Verse 10, Masoretic. Do not remove the ancient landmark. You notice it's like a lot, some of these proverbs is like repeats of the earlier ones. Do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless. An ancient boundary, I would suppose. Yes, boundary. Verse, uh, versus the Septuagint, it's, it's under the subtitle, saying 11. Remove not the ancient landmarks and enter not upon the possession of the fatherless. So the first part is pretty much the same, but the last part, enter not upon the possession of the fatherless versus nor enter the fields of the fatherless. Verse 11, Septuagint, for their Redeemer is mighty. He will plead their cause against you. Septuagint, for the, for the Lord is their Redeemer. He is mighty and will plead their cause with you. So in the Septuagint, we got the Lord is added there. Well, we don't have that in the Masoretic, which makes it actually clearer, doesn't it? A little bit more exhaustive. Verse 12, Masoretic, apply your heart to instruction and your word, your ears to words of knowledge. Septuagint saying 12, apply your heart to instruction and prepare your ears for words of knowledge. Very similar. Verse 13, Masoretic, do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. Septuagint, saying 13. Refrain not from chastening a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he shall not die. Verse 14 in the Masoretic, you shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. In the footnotes, or Sheol. Septuagint, for if you shall beat him with a rod and shall deliver... and. For if you shall beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul, excuse me, for thou shalt beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from death. Verse 15, my son, if, you, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself. Septuagint saying 14, son, if, if your heart be wise, you shall also gladden my heart. Different. We got in the Masoretic, indeed I myself, and that's not really in the Septuagint. Verse 16, Masoretic. Yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Septuagint, and your lips shall converse with my lips if they be right. Hmm. Does it say anything about the inmost being? Or can con so the the Septuagint leaves out the inmost being, the Masoretic leaves out the conversing. Verse seventeen, Masoretic, do not let your heart envy sinners. Be be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. Um, Septuagint saying fifteen. 
Let not your heart envy sinners, but you shall fear you shall but be in the fear of the Lord all the day. Verse 18, Masoretic, for surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. In the, in the footnotes, there is a latter end, latter end literally. Septuagint, for if you, sh if you should keep these things, you shall have uh, posterity, and your hope shall not be removed. Now that's quite a bit different. Let's just let's just take a moment here. In the Masoretic, it says, "For surely there is a hereafter." Com uh, compare that with the Septuagint family of manuscripts that says, "For if you should keep these things, you shall have posterity." Quite a bit different there. Quite a bit different. Verse 19, Masoretic. Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. Septuagint, saying 16, Hear, my son, and be wise, and rightly direct the thoughts of your heart. Similar. Verse 20, Masoretic. Do not mix with wine bibbers, nor, or excuse me, or with gluttonous eaters of meat. I suppose this is why they tried to accuse Yeshua of being a friend of sinners and a wine bibber, because they they were just trying to find dig up dirt on him or try to find something that he disobeyed his disobeyed God in, you know. Uh, verse 20 in the Septuagint, be not a wine-bibber, neither continue long at feasts and purchases of flesh. Wow, that's different. That's different. So we have uh, in the Mes Masoretic, do not mix with wine-bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. That sounds like it's saying, do not fellowship with people like this. Don't mix with them. Whereas in the Septuagint, it says, you be not a wine bibber, neither continue at long feasts and purchasers of flesh. Quite different. Different, different approaches, uh, different everything. Um, verse 21, Masoretic, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness with, will close a man with rags. Excuse me. Drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Septuagint, for every drunkard and whoremonger, where's that in the Masoretic? Shall be poor. <laughs> oh, it's just, yeah. I mean, we got glutton compared to whoremonger over here. The rest of it, the first part anyway, is pretty much the same in meaning. Um, the last part of the verse and every sluggard shall clothe himself with tatters and ragged garments. Eh, more of a graphic dis uh, you know, description of uh, what it says in the Masoretic. Verse 22, Masoretic. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Septuagint, saying 11, or excuse me, saying 17. 
Hearken, my son, to your father, which begot you. That's okay. So the first part is pretty much the same meaning as the Masoretic. And despise not your mother because he is, she has grown old. So it's, it, at least in meaning, it's pretty much the same. Verse 23, Masoretic, buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. That's not found in the Septuagint at all. It's not found there at all. The voice of James says, hello there, hello there, voice of James on, um, on TikTok. And we have BB on YouTube says, blessings and shalom to you and everyone. Blessings and shalom multiplied back to you as well. All right, let's see what else we got here. Um, verse 24 in the Masoretic. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. In the Septuagint, it says, a righteous father brings up his children well. Oh, that's different. Okay, it's we got similar things. We got the father... The father, we got implications of his children being righteous, but it's quite, it's worded quite different. But we see here in the Septuagint, his children is not even in the original Greek. So having, you know, considering that it is fairly, it's similar. A righteous father brings up well, basically, uh, versus the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. Still, it's different. Um, in the last part in the Septuagint of that verse, and and his soul rejoices over a wise son, which is means pretty much the same as the Septuagint. Verse 25, let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. Septuagint, let your father let your father and your mother rejoice over you, and her that bore you be glad. Pretty much the meaning's the same. Verse 26, my son, give ear, excuse me, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Septuagint, it's under the subtitle of saying 18. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Pretty, pretty much the same. Um, verse 27 in the um, Masoretic, for a harlot is a deep pit. A deep pit and a seductress is a narrow well. Now, isn't this strange how the Septuagint refrains, just like how the Septuagint refrains from speaking about, um, like how, how many times we have in the Masoretic talking about in, in a moral woman or something like that, and that's not in the Septuagint. It's like it doesn't mention woman, and in the same way, it's it's like that here in the same way. It doesn't mention, it doesn't give you any kind of a depiction of a harlot. Just for a strange house, that's what it's, for a strange house is a vessel full of holes. <laughs> Compare that with, for a harlot is a deep pit. I mean, we got vague similarities there, but um, a lot different. The last part of that verse in the Septuagint, and a, and a strange well is narrow. Again, talks about something rather than a like 
in the Masoretic says a seductress. Verse 28, Masoretic. She also lies in wait for uh, as for, for victim and increases the unfaithful among men. Septuagint. Again, it doesn't mention anything about she or anything like that. For such a one shall perish suddenly. And every transgressor, transgressor shall be cut off. That's almost entirely different. Almost entirely different. Verse 29, Masoretic. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Septuagint. It's under the subtitle of saying 19. Who has woe? Who has trouble? Who has quarrels? Who has vexations? Who has disputes? Who has bruises without cause? Uh, whose, who had, whose eyes are livid? Very similar. We've got differences, but very similar. Verse 30 in the Masoretic, those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine. Septuagint are not those of them that stay long at wine. So that part is pretty much the same in meaning at least. And not of those, and not those of them that haunt the places where banquets are. That's different. Be not drunk with wine, but converse with just men and converse with them openly. That's not to be found, that's nowhere to be found in the Masoretic at all. I mean, this is good, very good. And I would, you know, I would consider this to be just as legit as any of the other Proverbs, but it's not found in the, in the, uh, in the Masoretic text at all. Verse 31, Masoretic. Do not look on wine when it, when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. The Septuagint says, For if you should set your eyes on bowls and cups, you shall afterwards go more naked than a pestle. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's different. Very different. Very different. Yeah. Anyway, that's verse 30, verse 32, Masoretic. At, la, at the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Septuagint. But at last, such a one stretches himself out as one smitten by a serpent. And venom is diffused through him as, as by horn, a horned serpent. Notice again how the Septuagint speaks of a person, whereas the Masoretic speaks of a thing. 
For those of you who are on TikTok, I am on YouTube Live right now as well, sharing my screen. If you're interested in actually seeing what I'm reading, you can go over there on my YouTube channel. That's Christopher Enoch on YouTube. Verse 33, Masoretic. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. Septuagint, whenever your eyes shall behold a strange woman. So this is different now, right? We got, again, for some reason, the Septuagint always has a person as opposed to a thing. But this time, the Septuagint is talking about a woman. Then you, then your mouth shall speak perverse things. So it doesn't say anything about the heart, but it does in the Masoretic. But it doesn't say anything about the mouth in the Masoretic. The heart in the Masoretic is the mouth in the Septuagint. Verse 34, yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying, Septuagint says, and you shall lie as in the midst of the sea and as a pilot in a great storm. Vaguely similar, vaguely similar. Verse 35, Masoretic, struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When I shall awake, when when shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Septuagint, and you shall say, they smote me, and I was not pained. They mocked me, and I knew it not. When will it be morning that I may go and seek those with whom I may go in the company. Again, we got here in the Septuagint, we've got people. It's talking about people as opposed to things in the Masoretic. Very interesting. Tammy asked a question on YouTube. Uh, what book is older, Masoretic or Septuagint? Yes, uh, the Septuagint is... Um, depending on who you talk to, normally, typically, it's, it it um, is considered to be about a thousand years older. So yeah, so it is it is older. We have question for move over there on TikTok says hello, uh, hi, hello there, good to see you, welcome, welcome as always. Okay, let's continue. Verse twenty or Proverbs twenty four. Verse 1, Masoretic. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. Septuagint. My son, envy not a bad man, nor desire to be with them. Pretty much the same. Um, verse 2, Masoretic. For their heart devises violence, and their lips talk of troublemaking. Septuagint, for their heart meditates falsehoods, and their lips speak, the lips speak mischiefs. Verse 3, Masoretic. Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. Septuagint, under the, say, under the 
subtitle saying 21. A house is built by wisdom and is set up by understanding. Pretty much means the same. Um, Verse 4, Masoretic. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Septuagint. By discretion, the chambers are filled with all precious and excellent wealth. Pretty much the same in meaning. Verse 5, Masoretic. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. Septuagint under the subtitle saying 22. A wise man is better than a strong man. Ah, that's different, isn't it? A wise man is strong in the, in the Masoretic versus a wise man is better than a strong man. I, in my own opinion, my opinion, I like this one better. I like the Septuagint better here. Um, moving on with the Septuagint. And a man who has prudence than a large estate. It's different, isn't it? So different. Versus, yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. Hmm. Quite different. Verse 6, Masoretic. For by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Septuagint, war is carried on with with generalship, and aid is supplied to the heart of a counselor. Again, different. Um, Different. Some similarities, but different. Verse 7, Masoretic, wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He... He does not open his mouth in the gate. Masoretic, under the subtitle saying 23, wisdom and good understanding are in the gates of the wise. That's different. Different. The only thing... The only thing similar between the two there is just that the topic is wisdom. That's about it. Everything else is different. The last part of that verse in the Septuagint, the wise turn not aside from the mouth of the Lord. Compare that with he does not open his mouth in the gate. Again, different. Verse 8, Masoretic, he who plots to do evil will be called a schemer or um, master of evil plots. Verse Verse 8 in the Septuagint, under the subtitle saying 24, is a continuation of verse 7 that says, but desperate in counsel. And death befalls uninstructed men. Completely different than the Masoretic. Verse 9, the devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. Masoretic, the fool, the fools also dies in sin, and uncleanness attaches to a pestilent man. So, um... So we got talking in the Septuagint, dies in dies in sins versus just simply in sin. 
in the Masoretic and uncleanness. And uncleanness attaches to a pestilent man versus and a and the scoffer is an abomination to men. I suppose vaguely similar, vaguely in the sense that uncleanness is talking about abomination. Pestilent man is talking about the scoffer. So as the scoffer is an abomination, so the pestilent man has uncleanness attached to him. Verse 10, Masoretic. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Septuagint, under the subtitle, saying 25. He shall be defiled in the evil day and in the day of affliction until he be utterly consumed. That's quite different. Quite different. Verse 11. In the Septu, or the, excuse me, the um, Masoretic. Deliver those who are drawn toward death. And hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. Septuagint, deliver them that are led away to death and redeem them that are appointed to be slain. Spare not your help. Hmm. Different. Verse 12. Masoretic. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? Septuagint. But if you should say, I know not this man. Look at again. Look at again how the Septuagint makes it a, like makes it a person or personal. Talks about a man, whereas... In the, in, the, in the Masoretic, it's a thing. Moving on, the next part of that verse in the Septuagint says, Know that the Lord knows the hearts of all. Compare that with, Does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? Septuagint, And he that formed breath for all. Compare that with, He who keeps your soul. Does he not know it? So he says, in the Septuagint, he knows all things, who renders every man according to his works. That's that's similar. That last part is similar. Verse 13 in the Masoretic, My son, eat honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to, to your taste. Septuagint, saying 26, My son, eat honey, for the honeycomb is good, and your throat may be sweetened. Similar. Verse 14, Masoretic. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be on your soul. If you have found it, there is, there is a prospect, and, a, and your hope will not be cut off. Prospect in the footnotes, latter end. Verse 14 in the Septuagint. Thus, thus shall you perceive wisdom 
in your soul. For if you find it, your end shall be good, and hope shall not fail you. So that's, the meaning is pretty much the same. Verse 15 in the Masoretic. Do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. Septuagint, saying 27. Bring not an ungodly man into the dwelling of the righteous. Neither be deceived by the feeding of the belly. Neither be deceived by the feeding of the belly. Compare that with do not plunder his resting place. Quite a bit different. Now, again, those of you who are, I know there's a, just quickly here. Um, because we got new people coming all the time. Um, so just quick little word again about tomorrow. Tomorrow evening, we have a special guest with us, Lord willing, would be Dr. Robert M. Price, a New Testament scholar. It's going to be a very, uh, very interesting evening, I'm sure. Bring all your friends, bring your family, uh, and make sure you ask all the questions you want to, you want to ask because we have the, you know, uh, I want to make sure we can, uh, we can, uh, get very good knowledge from, uh, from, uh, Dr. Price tomorrow and Saturday we have Yitzhak from Taste of Torah with us, uh, starting at two, I'll start at 2 PM. He'll come on at two 30 and join me and, uh, we'll have some fellowship there. Um, So on YouTube, we have Vida says, Shalom all, Elohim bless you all. Thank you very much for uh, Vida, Shalom and blessings multiplied to you as well. Thank you. Welcome. Okay, um, let's continue. This is Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, the Masoretic on the left. For a righteous man may fall seven times, and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Let me let me just say something about this because I run across people that they don't understand the most basic things of Scripture and of how God works according to the Scriptures. The concept of repentance, like a, being righteous and perfectly pure in God's sight, has nothing to do with your past. You can be a wicked man. Last week, uh, from the time you know you were little up until just last week, you, you could be you could be full of evil, and today be be considered to be a righteous man by God because you have repented of your sins. In other words, because you have turned away from your sin, you have changed your lifestyle, you change the way you live, you change the way you think. Ezekiel chapter 18 makes it very, very clear, starting at verse 19 all the way through to the end of the chapter. That's how God works. I mean, we read it in the in the Torah. We read it in the books of Moses as well, but it just, Ezekiel just makes it like crystal clear. I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 30 talks about it as well, but 
Ezekiel just paints the picture so beautifully for us. That's how it works. And this is what this verse is talking for a righteous, a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. And this is the problem with the Pharisees in the days when Yeshua was walking this earth. And the Pharisees said that he was a friend of sinners. Well, he really wasn't because the sinners were that they were the sinners. Jesus was a friend of ex-sinners. And that's one thing they could not, it seems like they could not really grasp. Hey, you know, these people, at least a few of them, maybe not all of them, but a few of them that Yeshua is hanging around, or rather, a few of these people that are hanging around Yeshua, they are the ones that have repented. Yes, maybe they have a past that is a really bad past. Maybe last year they were evil people. I mean, they were evil, but today they're not. And according to Ezekiel chapter 18, um, the past doesn't matter. As long as the as long as the present is 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 not the past, if you know what I mean. In other words, if you are if you have turned from your sin, you're not a sinner. You're an ex sinner. If you've turned to to uh, from your sin and to God, you're considered to be righteous. It says in Ezekiel chapter eighteen, all you have to do is turn from sin. Basically, simply stop sinning. You know, if you know you're doing what you shouldn't do, just don't do it. You stop it, and then God will look at you as if you've never, ever done it. That's what it says in Ezekiel chapter 18. God will look at you as if you've never, ever done it. All of your past iniquities will not be remembered against you. That's why it says, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. Sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes uh, you can be considered to be righteous in God's sight by your obedience to him. I'm not talking about just by faith alone. I'm talking about by your obedience to him. You can be considered to be righteous and still have mistakes in your past and, you know, mistakes in your future. As long as you, you know, turn you, you don't continue in those mistakes. As long as you don't keep going in that direction. You may fall off the tracks every every once in a while, but get right back on the tracks. That's that's the main you know that's that's the main thing is you're on you you stay on the tracks, you stay on the straight and the narrow. Let's continue. For a righteous man falls seven times and and rise again, but but the wicked shall fall by calamity. The Septuagint says, for a righteous man will fall seven times and rise again but the ungodly shall withhold strength in or excuse me but the godly shall be without strength in troubles verse 17 mesoretic do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles septuagint saying 28 if your enemy should fall rejoice not over him neither be elated at his overthrow. Good advice. Verse 18, Masoretic. Lest the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away 
excuse me, and he turned turn away his wrath from him. Just the wording there kind of makes me up. Septuagint, for the Lord will see it, and it will not please him, and he will turn away his wrath from him. Verse 19, Masoretic, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked. Septuagint, saying 29, rejoice not in evildoers, neither be envious of sinners. So we got rejoice not in evildoers versus do not fret because of evildoers. The last part is pretty much the same. Verse 20, Masoretic, for there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Septuagint, for the evil man shall have no posterity and the light of the wicked shall be put out. Again, it's interesting how it uses the word prospect versus posterity in the Septuagint. Verse 21, Masoretic. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change. Septuagint, saying 30. My son, fear God and the king and do not obey either of them. Or excuse me, do not disobey either of them. Do not disobey either of them versus do not associate with those given to change. Different. It's kind of hard to even think about how it's even similar in any way. But yeah, it's different. Verse 22. Masoretic. For their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin of those, uh, the, the ruin those two can bring. What do we have here in the Septuagint? Wow, this is a lot more than what we have in the Masoretic. Look at this. This verse is huge. This would be like what, the longest verse in the Bible? Let's go. Septuagint, for they will suddenly punish the ungodly. Now look at it again. Look at how it says here in the Masoretic, for their calamity will rise suddenly, versus they will suddenly punish the ungodly. And who can know the vengeance inflicted by both? Similar to the Masoretic in that part of the verse. Now, all of this, other, the rest of this is not in the Masoretic as all something. If if we have never, for those who have never read the Proverbs in the Septuagint, this is all new Proverbs for you guys. All new Proverbs, at least new to us, right? It's actually more ancient than the typical Proverbs, the Masoretic, but it's it's all new. A son that keeps the commandment shall escape destruction, for such a one has fully received it. Let no falsehood be spoken by the king from the tongue. Yes, let no falsehood proceed from his tongue. The king's tongue is a sword, and not one, and not one of flesh, 
and whosoever shall be given up to it shall be destroyed. For if his wrath should be provoked, he destroys men with corns, and devours men's bones, and burns them up as a flame, so that they are not even fit to be eaten by the young eagles. My son, reverence my words and receive them and repent. It's pretty good, isn't it? It's pretty good. Verse 23, Masoretic. These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality in judgment. In the Septuagint, and this thing I say to you that are wise for you to learn. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. little bit of added thing like for you to learn but the rest of it is pretty much the same verse 24 Masoretic he who says to the wicked you are righteous him the people will curse nations will abhor him verse 24 in the Septuagint he that says of the ungodly he is righteous shall be cursed by peoples and hateful among the nations Verse 25, Masoretic, But those who rebuke the wicked shall have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. Septuagint, But they that reprove him shall appear more excellent, and blessing shall come upon them. Similar. Verse 26, Masoretic, He who gives a right answer kisses the lips. Septuagint, and men will kiss lips that answer well. <laughs> yeah, it's like half full, half empty. Verse 27, Masoretic, prepare your work, your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward build your house. Septuagint, prepare your works for going forth, and prepare yourself for the field, and come after me and you shall rebuild your house. Verse 28, Masoretic, Do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause, for would you deceive, for would you deceive with your lips? Now in the footnote, in the Septuagint, okay, do not deceive with your lips. Septuagint, be not a false witness against your fellow citizen, neither exaggerate with your lips. Verse 29. Do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Septuagint. Say not, as he treated me, so will I treat him. And I will avenge myself on him for that wherein he has injured me. The meaning is pretty much the same. Verse 30. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. Septuagint, a foolish man is like a farm 
and a senseless man like a vineyard. That's different. Doesn't doesn't say anything about a lazy man in there, in the, in the Masoretic. Verse 31. And there, there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was, was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. Septuagint. And if you let him alone, he will altogether remain barren and covered with weeds. And he becomes destitute. And his stone walls are broken down. Again, 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 we see how it over here is, uh, you know, it in the Septu- in the Masoretic is him in the Septuagint. But, I mean, it's put completely different anyway. But, I mean, it talks about a thing in the Masoretic, whereas it talks about a person in the Septuagint. Verse 32, Masoretic. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. Septuagint, afterwards I reflected. I looked that I might receive instruction. Similar. Verse 33 in the Masoretic. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Septuagint, the sluggard says, I slumber a little, I sleep a little, And for a little while, I fold my arms across my breast. Different way of putting it, because in the Masoretic, it doesn't sound like it's something that's said, whereas in the Septuagint, it says it is. Verse 34. So shall your poverty come like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. Septuagint. But if you do this, your poverty will come speedily, and you and your want like a swift courier. Proverbs twenty-five, verse one, Septuagint or Masoretics. Sorry, these also are proverbs of Solomon which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. So Solomon didn't write this specifically. Um, Septuagint says these are the miscellaneous instructions of Solomon. It's it's interesting how Proverbs in the Masoretic becomes miscellaneous instructions in the Septuagint, which the friends of Hezekiah, king of Judea, copied out. Verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. Septuagint, the glory of God conceals a matter, but the glory of a king honors business. Hmm. In this case, I, th- I like the Masoretic, this, the juxtaposition in the, in the Masoretic of concealing versus searching out. This doesn't really flow in that way. This is why it's so important, you know, to get a hold of all kinds of different manuscripts as much as you can and compare them all the same way with, you know, the same with uh, translations as well, just to compare them all, especially when you're, uh, you got a question about a specific verse or passage. Um, 
Proverbs 25, verse 3, Masoretic. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Septuagint, heaven is high and earth is deep, and the king's heart is unsearchable. Pretty much the same meaning. Verse 4, Masoretic. Take away the dross from silver, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. Septuagint, beat the drossy silver, and it shall be made entirely pure. Does it say anything about the silversmith or jewelry there? Verse 5, Masoretic. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Septuagint, slay the ungodly man. <laughs> Septuagint's a little bit more harsh in that way, isn't it? Slay the ungodly man before the king, and his throne shall prosper in righteousness. You know, just before I go on here, notice how, again, this phraseology of being taken away or take away, you know, as we read in Matthew 24 or Isaiah chapter 57 or um, book of Jasher chapter 5, where it's talking about, um, basically it's talking about death. That's what it's talking about. Verse 6, do not exalt yourself in the presence of a king and do not stand in the place of the great. Septuagint, be not boastful in the presence of a king and remain not in the places of princes. Very similar. Verse 7, Masoretic, for it is better that he says to you, come up here, that you should... Uh, then, excuse me, it is better that he says to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Septuagint, for it is better for you that it should be said, come up to me, than that one should humble you in the presence of the prince. Speak of that which your, your eyes have seen. Now, again, this is very similar to how Yeshua taught, you know, take the lowest seat and not the not the highest seat. And the one who is uh, hosting the, the meal basically will say, come up here. So you want to be exalted, be, hum be humbled to begin with so that the host would exalt you as opposed to being proud to begin with and the, and the host would humble you. Verse 8, do not hastily go... Or do not go hastily to court, for what will you will you do in the end when your neighbor has has put you to shame? Septuagint, get not suddenly into a quarrel, lest you repent at last. Quite different, vaguely similar, but quite different. Verse nine. Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret, the secret to another. Again, this is very much like how Yeshua taught, you know, just, you know, work things out before you, you know, while you can basically before your neighbor would take you to court, so to speak. Verses, verse 9, uh, Septuagint, whenever your friend shall reproach you, retreat backwards, despise him not. Very different. 
very different. Debate your case with your neighbor versus when your neighbor shall reproach you. And Masoretic, do not disclose the secret to another versus retreat backward, despise him not. Very different. Verse 10. Lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation is ruined. Versus Septuagint, lest your friend continue to reproach you so your quarrel and enmity shall not depart. But, but shall be to you like death. Let's read this again. So in the Masoretic, lest he who hears it expose your shame, versus lest your friend continue to reproach you, and uh, so your quarrel and enmity shall not depart, but shall be to you like death. It's just so different. And then it goes on in the Septuagint with another whole, almost like another whole verse that the Masoretic doesn't have. Favor and friendship set a man free, which do you keep for yourself, lest you be made liable to reproach, but take heed to uh, to your ways peaceably. So it's just basically expounding upon this same concept. But it's just so much more than what we have in the Masoretic. Verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Uh, Septuagint, as, an, as, an, as a golden apple in a necklace of sardius, so it is, or so is it to speak a wise word. Nothing mentioned about silver at all there. Exp- Apples of gold and settings of silver. Hmm. Verse 12, Masoretic. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Septuagint. In an earring of gold, a precious sardius is also set. So is a wise word to an obedient ear. Hmm. Again, talking about Sardius, we don't have that at all in the Masoretic. Verse 13, Masoretic. Like the cold of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Septuagint. As a fall of snow in the time of harvest is is good against the heat, so a faithful messenger refreshes those that send him, for he he helps the souls of his employers. Pretty much the same meaning. Verse 14, Masoretic, whoever falsely boasts of giving Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. Septuagint. As winds and clouds and rains are most evident objects, so is he that boasts of a false gift. 
Verse 15, Masoretic, by long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded, and a, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. Septuagint, in long suffering is prosperity to kings, and a soft tongue breaks the bones. So the last part is pretty much the same, but long suffering is prosperity to kings versus long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded. Different. Verse 16, Masoretic, have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Septuagint, having found honey, eat only what is enough, lest happily you be filled and vomited up. Happily. Verse 17, uh, Masoretic, seldom set... Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. Septuagint, enter sparingly into your neighbor's house, lest he be satiated with your company and hate you. Meaning is the same. Verse 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a cub, a club, excuse me, a sword and a sharp arrow. Septuagint, as a club and a dagger and a pointed arrow so also is a man who bears false witness against his friend. Means the same, pretty much. Verse 19, Masoretic. Confidence confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth, that's a lot of pain, and a foot out of joint. That's a lot of pain. Um, Subtuagent. The way of of the wicked and the foot of the transgressor shall perish in an evil day. Very different. It talks about the foot, and it talks about someone who's not good, as in wicked or unfaithful. But other than that, um, everything else is different, quite different. Verse 20, Masoretic. Like one who takes away a garment in cold weather and like vinegar on soda. So first of all, let's just think about this for a second. Like one who takes away a garment in cold weather. Well, I mean, you need it to stay warm. Uh, And like vinegar on soda, uh, you know, causes a reaction. um, Is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. I suppose that would mean like kind of making it lighter, making it lighter, like kind of because taking away a garment. Uh, I suppose if a person has too many garments on, it would make it lighter. And like vinegar on soda is like, you know, it kind of elevates it, so to speak. Um Verse 20 in the Septuagint, as vinegar is bad for a sore. Okay, this is totally different, except for the mentioning of vinegar. is bad for a sore, so trouble befalling the body afflicts the heart. As a moth in a garment and a worm in wood, so the grief of a man hurts the heart. It says nothing about singing, singing songs here. Verse 21, Masoretic, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. See this, by the way, this is an exposition 
or expounding upon Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23 makes it very clear when your enemy is in need, don't hate him, basically. That, that's what Yeshua got his hate, uh, love your enemies from, was, was from the Torah. Um, so here again, we have, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In, in accordance with the Torah, that is. Um, Septuagint, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. Verse 22, Masoretic, for so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. Um, Septuagint, for so doing you shall heap coals of fire upon his head and the Lord shall, re shall, re uh, shall reward you with good. So we got that extra part in there with good. Verse 23, Masoretic, the north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. Septuagint, it is better to dwell on a corner of a roof than with a railing woman in an open house. Oh, that's, I'm sorry, I got the wrong one. The north wind raises clouds. So an impudent face provokes the tongue. So an impudent face provokes the tongue versus an backbiting tongue and angry countenance. Different, just again, different order of words, basically. Verse 24, Masoretic, it is better to dwell in, the, in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And we read that in the Septuagint. And that's pretty much the same, pretty much the same concept. Verse 25, Masoretic, as cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. Septuagint, as cold water is agreeable to a thirsting soul, so is a good message from a, a land far off. Masoretic, a righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. Septuagint, as if one should stop a well and corrupt a spring of water, so is it unseemly for a righteous man to fall before an ungodly man. Different, vaguely similar, but different. Verse 27. It is not good to eat much honey, so, so to seek one, one's own glory is not glory. Septuagint, it is not good to eat much honey, but it is right to honor venerable sayings. Again, the last part of that verse is quite different. Actually, it's completely different. Verse 28, Masoretic, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Septuagint, as a city whose walls are broken down and which is un unfortified, so is a man who does anything without counsel. 
So in the Masoretic, it sounds like, you know, talking about a, a man ruling in, ruling over his own spirit, basically self-control, you know, um, prevent, you know, just don't get your, just don't get too overly, you know, get out of control, out of hand. Whereas in the Septuagint, it's talking about someone who does, who does things without counsel. So it's, it's different, different. Proverbs 26. Masoretic, as snow in summer and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Septuagint, as dew in harvest and as rain in summer, so honor is not seemly for a fool. So it's quite a bit different. Dew in harvest versus snow in summer. Rain in summer versus rain in harvest. Verse 2. Masoretic, like a flirting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause show not a light. And this is a good comforting verse because for those people, people can curse you. But if, it, if it's without cause, in other words, if it has no legal right to, to rest on you, then it won't. It will be like a bird flying over your head. The curse will not take effect at all. Verse 2, in the Septuagint, as birds and sparrows fly, so a curse shall not come upon anyone without a cause. Verse 3, Masoretic, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Septuagint, as a whip for a horse and a goad for an ass, so is a rod for a simple nation. Huh. So we get we go from fools back to a simple nation. Verse 4, Masoretic. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Septuagint, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. Pretty much the same. Pretty much the same. Verse 5, Masoretic. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Septuagint, yet answer a fool according to his folly, yes, lest he seem wise in his own conceit. Same meaning. Verse 6, he who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Septuagint, he that sends a message by a foolish messenger procures for himself a reproach from his own ways. So procuring for yourself a reproach from your own ways is different than cutting off your own feet and drinking violence. So that's different. At least the last part of that verse is quite different. Verse 7, Masoretic. Like the legs of, of the lame that hang, that hang limb, limp is a proverb in the mouth of a fool, or in the mouth of fools. Septuagint. As, as well as take away the motion of the legs as transgression from the mouth of fools. Again, where does it talk about proverb? In the uh, Masoretic, it talks about a proverb. Verse 8, Masoretic, like, like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives honor to a fool. In other words, it's dangerous. 
Septuagint, he that binds up a stone in a sling is like one who gives, uh, that gives glory to a fool. Different way of saying it, totally different, put in a totally different way. Verse 9, Masoretic, like a thorn that goes into the hand of a druid is the proverb, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Septuagint, thorns grow in the hand of a drunkard and servitude in the hand of fools. So we got thorns that grow in the hand of a drunkard versus like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard. And proverb in the mouth of fools as opposed to servitude in the hand of fools. Different. Verse 10, Masoretic. The great God who formed everything gives, gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. In the footnote... Uh, okay, just warning that uh, the translators differ greatly on that. Verse 10 in the Septuagint, all the flesh of fools endures much hardship for their fury is brought to naught. Yeah, so it's very, very different. Yeah, so different. Verse 11, Masoretic. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Now, look at the Septuagint. We got a lot more to that. We got a lot more to that in the Septuagint. It says, as a dog, as when a dog goes to his own vomit and becomes abominable, so is fool to, uh, so is fool who returns to his, or, excuse me, so is it's just the way it's worded here. It's kind of hard to read it. So is fool who returns in his wickedness to his own sin. There is a shame that brings sin, and there is a shame that is glory and grace. Yeah, so a lot more there. Um, verse 12 in the Masoretic. Do you see a, a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for fool than for him. Septuagint, I have seen a man who seemed to, to himself to be wise, but a fool had more hope than he. Pretty much the same. Verse 13, Masoretic, a lazy man says, there is a lion in the road. Septuagint, a sluggard, when sent on a journey, says, there is a line in the ways, and there are murderers in the streets. Again, you notice we have that we had that earlier, where it talked about a lion being, you know, the lazy man saying there's a lion outside, and it adds in the Septuagint murderers. In the same way, it does this, it does it here as well in this in in another passage. So there's a pattern here we see. Verse 14, Masoretic, as a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. Septuagint, as a door turns on its hinge, so does a sluggard on his bed. Pretty much the same. Verse 15, the lazy man buries his, his hand in the bowl. Again, bowl in the um, footnotes is bosom, or in the Vulgate, it's armpit. The lazy man buries his hand in, in the bowl or is in his bosom in the armpit. Um, he It wearies him to bring it back to his... 
to bring it back to his mouth. Verse 15 in the Masoretic, or excuse me, Septuagint. A sluggard having hid his hand in his bosom will not be able to bring it up to his mouth. Verse 16, Septuagint. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Septuagint, a sluggard himself, a sluggard seems to himself wiser than one who most satisfactorily brings back a message. Hmm. Notice again, this is this is the reason why I think that in, in the Bible we shouldn't be very hyper literal about things, especially numbers. Because Numbers like seven, seven men, it could mean, it could mean like it mean many, or it could just be like a figurative thing, just figuratively speaking, uh, as as we see here in the Septuagint. Uh, so, the phrase "then seven men who answer sensibly" is equal, according to the Septuagint, to uh, one who most satisfactorily brings back an, a message. So I can see how they are equal in meaning. Seven men who answer sensibly, it can mean that, it, it could mean one actually that is most satisfactorily um, answering the, the, uh, the, the message. Verse 17. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Septuagint, as he, lay, as he that lays hold of a dog's tail. Ah, we got the opposite end of the dog here. As he who lays hold of a dog's tail, so is he that makes himself the champion of another's, another's cause. That's, that's different. That's different. Uh, verse 18, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, verses in the Septuagint, as those who need correction put forth fair words to men, and he that first falls in, uh, in with the proposal will be overthrown. Ah, it's so different, isn't it? Um, so in the Masoretic, we got like a madman, We don't even have like, what, what does it say in the Septuagint about a madman? As those who need correction, I guess if you're mad, if you're mad, you need correction. Uh, as a madman throws firebrands, arrows, and death. It, has, it says nothing about firebrands, arrows, and death at all in the Septuagint. As those who need correction put forth fair words to men. And he that first falls in with the proposal will be overthrown. So different. Verse 19 in the Masoretic. Is the man who deceives his neighbor, is the man who deceives his neighbor, and says, I, I was only joking. Yeah, you got people like that. Ver, um, Septuagint, so are all that lay wait for their own friends, and when they are discovered, they say, I did it in jest. 
you know, as we go along here, you can't help but think about how different, like, who can say, I mean, if people are really knowledgeable, who can say the scriptures, who can say that the scriptures are not corrupted? Whoever says that, have no, they really have no clue. Now, not, and I'm, you know, again, I don't want to make it sound like we don't know or, or we don't have the truth, um, but that we have differences here. Right? We have differences. Verse 20, when there is no wood, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. In the Septuagint, with much wood, fire ceases. But where there is not a double-minded man, strife ceases. Okay, with much wood, fire increases. As opposed to where there is no wood, the fire goes out. So it's like, again, half empty, half full. Last part, and where and where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. Versus, but where there is not a double-minded man, strife ceases. It doesn't talk about tail, tailbearers at all there in the Septuagint. Verse 21, Masoretic. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is, con, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Septuagint. As hearth for coals and, and wood for fire and railing man for the tumult of strife. Similar. Verse 22, Masoretic. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. Again, we get this thing about tasty trifles. Now in the footnotes, Jewish tradition wounds... Uh, so, like the words of a t- words of a tail bearer are like wounds, and they go down into the inmost body. Septuagint: the words of cunning knaves are soft, but they smite even to the inmost parts of the bowels. Uh, cunning knaves are soft versus the words of a tail bearer are wounds. Again, tailbearer in the footnotes, uh, gossiper or slanderer. Quite different. Verse 23, Masoretic. Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. Septuagint, silver dishonestly given is to be considered as a potsherd. Smooth lips cover a grievous heart. Wow. Again, that's different. Very different. Verse 24. Masoretic. He who hates disguises it with his lips, and he lays up deceit within himself. Septuagint. A wicked enemy promises all all things with his lips, but in his heart he contrives deceit. Verse 25, Masoretic. When he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Septuagint, though your enemy entreats you with a loud voice, consent not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. 
very similar. Verse 26, though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. Septuagint, he that hides enmity frames deceit, but being easily discerned exposes his his own sins in, in the public assemblies. So that's similar. Masoretic, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. We read so much about that, about that in, in the uh, scriptures. God repays. Septuagint, he that digs a pit for his neighbor shall fall into it, and he that rolls a stone rolls it upon himself. Saying the same thing in a different way. Verse 28, Masoretic, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Septuagint, a lying tongue hates truth. (laughs) That's true, isn't it? And an unguarded mouth causes tumults. All right. I want to read, before we get into the comments here, I want to read um, Wisdom of Solomon. Chapters 9 and 10. Chapters 9 and 10. Now, remember, in context, we read last night about um, I'll, I'll just read the last part of the the last paragraph of last night, just to put it in context. It's the wisdom of Solomon, chapter eight, verse seventeen. And so I thought it over to be to be wedded to wisdom is to live forever. To love her is to be perfectly happy. To do her work is to be rich beyond measure. To share her company is to have sound judgment. To converse with her is to be honored. Then I was determined to take wisdom as my bride. I had a pleasantly, excuse me, I had a pleasant personality even as a child. I had been fortunate enough to receive a good soul, or rather I was given a sound body to live in because I was already good. Still, I realized that I would never receive wisdom unless God gave her to me. And knowing that only God could give her to me was itself a sign of understanding. So I prayed, begging the Lord with my with all my heart, chapter 9, God of my ancestors, merciful Lord, by your word you created everything. By your wisdom, you made us humans to rule, rule all creation, to govern the world with holiness and righteousness, to administer justice with integrity. Give me the wisdom that sits beside your throne. Give me a place among your children. I am your slave, as my mother before me. I am only human. I am not strong, and my life will be short. I have little understanding of the law or how to apply it. Even if someone is perfect, he will be thought of as nothing without wisdom that comes from you. You chose me over everyone else to be the king of your own people, to judge your sons and daughters. You told me to build a temple on your sacred mountain, an altar in Jerusalem. 
the city which the city you chose as your home it is a copy of that temple in heaven so what i was saying like uh the temple as well as the tabernacle is when it talks about in the book of revelation about the ark of the covenant for example in heaven it's not talking about the ark of the covenant that moses had moses just had a copy of that ark of the covenant the, the ark that moses made through bezalel was a copy of the heavenly ark heavenly ark never left heaven it was a co- it is a copy of that temple in heaven which you prepared at the beginning that that temple was prepared in the beginning verse 9 wisdom is with you and knows your actions she was present when you made the world she knows what pleases you what is right and in accordance with your commandment with your commands send her from the holy heavens down from your glorious throne so that she may work at my side and may learn what pleases you she knows and understands everything and will guide me intelligently in what i in what i do her glory will protect me then i will judge your people fairly and be worthy of my father's throne my actions will be acceptable who can ever learn the will of god human reason is not adequate for the task and our philosophies tend to mislead us because our mortal bodies weigh our souls down the body is a temporary structure made of earth a burden to the active mind all we can do is make guesses about things on earth we must struggle to learn about things that are close to us who then can ever hope to understand heavenly things no one has ever learned your will unless you first gave him wisdom and sent your holy spirit down to him in this way people on earth have been set on the right path have learned what pleases you and have kept have been kept safe by wisdom wisdom of solomon chapter 10 wisdom protected the father of the world the first man that was ever formed when he alone had been created she saved him from his own sinful act and gave him the the strength to master everything on earth but there was an unrighteous man who abandoned wisdom he destroyed himself by killing his brother in in a fit of anger because of that sin the earth was flooded but wisdom saved it again she guided a righteous man in his flimsy wooden boat once the nations were frustrated in their wicked plans wisdom recognized a righteous man and kept him innocent in god's sight she gave him strength to obey god's command in spite of his love for his son this is interesting because you know it's it's subtitled wisdom wisdom helped abraham and we know that abraham had the torah had the law of god uh, as it says here, she gave him strength to obey God's command because, you know, we read that in uh, Genesis chapter 26, verse 5 as well. That Abraham had the law of God. So did Adam and Abel and all the other patriarchs as well. Right from the very beginning, the Torah is eternal, timeless. Wisdom rescued a righteous man while ungodly people were dying. He escaped the flames that destroyed the five cities. Sodom and Gomorrah, 
and all the other cities around, you can still see the evidence of their wickedness. The land there is barren and smoking. Their plants bear fruit that never ripens. And a pillar of salt stands as a monument to one who did not believe. The people of those cities ignored wisdom and could not tell right from wrong. Just like how many people are today, right? Not only that, but the remains of their cities still remind us of the foolish way they lived so that their failure can never be forgotten. But wisdom rescued her servants from their from the danger. And by the way, as I said before, I'm not going to do it now. I've done it already a few times. Um, but if you go on like Street View um, and look up uh, Mount Sodom and go on the Street View, you see what it looks like now, Mount Sodom. It is barren. It still is barren. We're, we're, um, it's a desert, basically, where Sodom and Gomorrah used to be. And we know that the scriptures tell us that Sodom and Gomorrah used to be very well watered. It was well watered like the Garden of the Lord, like the Garden of Eden. And now it's just a desert wasteland because of sin. You know, the land is defiled by sin. Why should you be concerned about your neighbor sinning? It's like, well, you know, just be concerned about yourself and, you know, each, you know, each one to his own, you know. Uh, not really, because if you're living in the midst of sin, you can be like Lot. We should be concerned because it can defile the land. And bring wrath upon us. Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 10, verse 10. Speaking of Jacob, a righteous man once had to escape from his brother's anger, and wisdom guided him in the right way. She showed him God's kingdom and allowed him to know about holy things. She made him prosperous and successful in his work. When others were greedy for what he had, and wanted to take it away from him, wisdom stood by him and made him rich. She protected him from his enemies who were waiting for a chance to attack him. She gave him victory in a hard fight so that he might realize that nothing can make a person stronger than serving God. Once a righteous man was sold into slavery, but wisdom did not abandon him. She kept him safe from sin. She went to prison with him and never left him until she had given him over, uh, given him power over an empire. This is talking about Joseph now, and made him a, the ruler of people who had once oppressed him. She let it. She let it be known that a false accusation had been made against him, and she made him eternal honor. Wisdom once rescued an, in, an innocent and holy people from a nation of oppressors. She entered the soul of one of God's servants and stood up to dreaded kings by performing miracles. She rewarded God's people for their hardships. She guided them along in a, a miraculous journey. She gave them shade during the day and brilliant starlight at night. I find it interesting here because, you know, in, throughout the scriptures, it talks about the the cloud during the day and the fire at night. But it says here, brilliant starlight. Could it be that 
Wisdom of Solomon is saying that the fire was actually brilliant starlight. Very interesting. Verse 18. She led, she led them through the deep waters of the Red Sea, but she drowned their enemies and washed their bodies up on the shore. And so the righteous looted the ungodly. They sang hymns to your holy name, O Lord. Together they praised you for defending them. Wisdom, wisdom gave speech to those who could not speak. She even caused babies to speak clearly. Odes of Solomon, chapter 17, Ode 17. Then I was crowned by my God, and my crown was living, and I was justified by my Lord, for my salvation is incorruptible. I have been freed from vanities and am not condemned. My chains were cut off by his hand. I received the the face and likeness of a new person and i walked in him and i and was saved and the thought of truth led me and i went after it and and wandered not and all who saw me were amazed and i, I seemed to them like a stranger and he knew them and and, and exalted me and he who knew them and excuse me and he who knew and exalted me is the most high in all his perfection and he glorified me by his kindness and raised my understanding to the height of truth and from there he gave me the way of his steps and i opened the doors which were closed and i shattered the bars of iron for for my own shackles had grown hot and melted before me and nothing appeared closed to me because I was the opening of everything. And I went towards all my bound, all my bound ones in order to lose them, that I might not leave anyone bound or binding. And I gave my knowledge generously and my resurrection through my love. And I sowed my fruits in hearts and transformed them through myself. Then I received my blessing and lived, and they were gathered to me and were saved. Because they became my members, I was their head. Glory to you, our head, O Lord Messiah. Hallelujah. Ode 18. My heart was lifted up and enriched in the love of the Most High, so that I might praise him with my name. My members were strengthened that they may not fall from his power. Infirmities fled from my body, and it stood firm for the Lord by his will, because his kingdom is firm. O Lord, for, for the sake of those who are in need, do not dismiss, dismiss your word from me, nor for the sake of their works withhold your perfection from me. Let not light be conquered by darkness, nor let truth flee from falsehood. Let your right hand set your, our salvation to victory and let it receive from every region and preserve it on, on the side of everyone who is besieged by misfortunes. You are my God and falsehood and death are not in your mouth. Only perfection is your will. And vanity is, and vanity you know not. 
because neither does it know you. And you know not error because neither does it know you. And ignorance appeared like dust and like the foam of the sea. And vain people thought it was great and they became like its type and were impoverished. But those who knew understood and contemplated and were not polluted by their thoughts because they were in the mind of the Most High and mocked those who were walking in error. Then they spoke the truth from the breath which the Most High breathed into them. Praise and praise and great honor to his name. Hallelujah. Ode 19. A cup of milk was offered to me, and I drank it in the sweetness of the Lord's kindness. The Son is the cup, and the Father is he who was, who was milked. And the Holy Spirit is she who milked him. Because his breasts were full, and it was undesirable that his milk should be ineffectually released. The Holy Spirit opened her bosom and mixed the milk of the two breasts of the Father. Then she gave the mixture to the generation without their knowing, and those who ha have received it are in the perfection of the right hand. The womb of the Virgin took it, and she received the con conception and gave milk gave birth. So the virgin became a mother with great mercies, and she labored and bore the son without pain, because it did not occur without purpose, and she did not require a midwife, because she caused her to give life. She brought forth like a strong man with desire, and she bore accordingly or according to the manifestation, and she acquired according to great power. And she loved with redemption and guarded with kindness and declared with grandeur. Hallelujah. And so that, re, uh, that concludes our reading for tonight. Now notice how much uh, you see uh, stuff talking about the Father, the Son, the Virgin, and all this kind of thing. And this is why most scholars believe that the Odes of Solomon were written like long, like hunt, like in the age of like after Yeshua came, like in the second century or later than that. Um, so that's the reason why they believe that was written like that, because it doesn't really, you don't really see or hear that kind of, um, that kind of thing in any of the BC writings. Okay, let's see what we have in the comments. Going nowhere asked the question, did God create time? Does, does he exist out of time? I believe I believe yes on both occasions. I know that there's I know some people think he didn't create time, but if he didn't create time, then I mean, I you know then time is it's almost like time is God then. But no, I think that God created time. Going nowhere says, do you believe God created the world in six literal days? Without going into a long discussion, and your answer is found in the previous videos that we did on you know, Genesis chapter 1, we discussed that uh, quite thoroughly. So I highly recommend you go check out Genesis chapter 1. So we did a video on that. Um, for the sake of those, who've, uh, those who are listening right now, and you, already, you were with me w when we did that video, um, I would just encourage you to go listen to that video instead of me going through all that. Um, at this time.
Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Going nowhere, do you believe dinosaurs and man ex coexisted at one point? Um, I think it's a very good possibility. Um, I mean, things like the behemoth, um, things like that that we read of in the scriptures that are huge, huge animals. Uh, I don't see anything like that today that would that would uh, uh, be anything like that on earth today. So, Who wrote the wisdom? Uh, so the wisdom of Solomon, that is from the, uh, the older manuscripts. That existed before Christ and before uh, the birth of Yeshua. Um, and they are purportedly... It's purportedly of Solomon, or at least someone who's close to Solomon, uh, in that sense. Uh, in the odes, I, you know, just touched on that. I don't believe there's any one author that's known to have been the author of of either one of those books. But seeing that we are in uh, the time of Solomon right now, and um, um, reading the Proverbs. And soon to be Ecclesiastes, I think it's uh, at least it's you know for our education to to know these other writings. Uh, I don't believe the Odes has as much authority as the Wisdom of Solomon does. I think the Wisdom of Solomon has way more authority than the Odes. Um, probably, maybe just at par, slightly under that of of the Book of Proverbs. Thank you for the question, one John. Tammy says, have to step out early tonight. Thank you for your reading and devoting your time. Shalom. Thank you for your, for your questions and your comments and your fellowship. And blessings to you and the group, as always. All right. So, I think that... Um, let's see what else we got here. Okay, I got a question uh, from B. Jimin. So the question is, where, where, where are you with alien life as to existence? If I understand your question correctly, I think you're asking me like, what is my view on alien life? Um, so I think that. Uh, what people call aliens are actually spiritual entities. Um, and a good part of it is, if not all of it, a good part of it is uh, evil spirits or like the, it's like the, um, uh, like, like the watchers in the book of Enoch. I do believe that's what it is. Yeah, so I don't believe that they are just like how, you know, the, the common worldly belief. I don't believe that's what they are. I don't believe it. Uh, I believe that they are, um, you know, beings that are uh, very powerful and, um, and very spiritual. Um, you, you read a lot about, of, or you hear a lot of testimonies of people who have been abducted by 
what they call aliens and and the abductions are never very good experiences and they're always they always have the like a sexual overtone on it and it's very very reminiscent of what we read in the book of enoch and uh, genesis chapter 6 and jubilees and such going nowhere ask a question do you think aliens slash fallen angels will play a role in the end times well, you know, uh, aliens as I as I believe them to be, being evil spirits, and yes, I mean, evil spirits would definitely have, you know, uh, they've actually played a role all the way through history. Uh, so, yeah, I do, I do believe they 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 uh, play a role for sure. When John says. Thanks so much. Really great reading these. Well, thank you very much, one John. Okay. So, all right. Um, tomorrow night, again, uh, Lord willing, uh, we have Dr. Robert M. Price with us, and he's going to bless us with a lot of his uh, talking about wisdom and knowledge and such. And so I'm sure uh, we're going to be talking about some very, very interesting things. And when can you talk to a Bible scholar? Tomorrow, tomorrow night, okay? Uh, make sure you're here. Tell your friends about it. Tell unbelievers about it. Tell your family members about it. And get them to come on and listen with us. Now, for those of you on YouTube, uh, TikTok, uh, excuse me, uh, TikTok. Unfortunately, I, I'll probably stream on TikTok anyway, but you're not going to be, you can't see um, Dr. Price with me on TikTok. You'll only see one, you'll only see and hear one part of the of the interview. So uh, in order to actually see it, uh, you'll have to go over to YouTube or Facebook or Twitch or um, DLive. I'm on all these other platforms. Uh, Twitter as well. You can watch it on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, so uh, make sure you're on, you got those, uh, you, you're subscribed and you're following me on on uh, at least one of those other platforms. That way uh, you can use that as to watch uh, the interview tomorrow night. Um. So B. Jimin asked me a question, uh, Ezekiel and that wheel, your take? I I cannot, you know, I, I really can't give you a, def, a definitive answer on that. It's it's not specific. Um, I'm not, it's not really specific in the scriptures as exactly what it is or why it's there or in that kind of thing. So I really cannot comment on that. Uh, I don't, I, the sources I have don't really give me any clear evidence of what that is. Very, very interesting, by the way. By the way, talking about that, just this is a little bit of a side note. I, it, but, um, you know, I knew uh, several years ago there was a person who um, really didn't know the Bible at all, didn't read the Bible at all. And um, uh, I prayed for this person and... Uh, this person got a vision of God. 
And they're like, what is this? I see. I'm like, what are you seeing? They said, I see a wheel and a wheel within a wheel and the wheels. I'm thinking, what? Tell me that again. What is it you saw? And they actually saw what Ezekiel explained. A person that never read the Bible saw it. And it was a, it was a wonderful spiritual experience. They was awesome. Kingdom concepts. The wheels are Ophanim, another class of messengers mentioned in Enoch 60. I'm wondering... Uh, kingdom concepts. Do you have a source? Like, do you have a source? I mean, I'm I'm open to to see what where you get that from. But uh, what's your source on that? Where do you? Uh, how do you come to that conclusion? And the question, kingdom concepts, is can we join tonight? And how? Unfortunately, you know what? I'm, I'm I wanna. Uh, it's going to have to be. It's it's over three hours already, and I, I want this. I was hoping to have an earlier night. Actually, it has to be an earlier night to me. I got, I got other things that's uh, it's on the go tonight before, before the night's over. I got other other things going on. So, um, unfortunately, it can't be tonight. Um, as you noticed, the last few nights I have been saying, "Hey, you know, afterward, you know, I'm going to invite everybody on the last few nights, last night, and the night before that, and the night before that as well." Um, you know, asking people to come on video and talk. Um, but tonight I didn't mention that if you notice, because I don't want it to go on. It's, it's actually getting late here, but going nowhere. Have you ever had a prophetic dream? Yes, I have. Again, I, without going into all of these, I, I have mentioned these kind of dreams several times before in my previous live streams, but perhaps if you don't listen to those, uh, previous live streams, if, uh, perhaps in the future, when we have more time, I can get into that. Um, so kingdom concepts says Enoch 61 verse 10. Okay. So Enoch 61 verse 10, and he will summon all the hosts of the heavens and all the holy ones and the host of God, the cherubim or the cherubim, it says here, uh, seraphim or seraphim. And Ophanim, uh, and all the angels of power, and all the angels of the principalities, and the elect one, and all, and the other powers on earth, over the water, on that day, shall so. Okay. So if this is the same verse. I mean, it says absolutely nothing in there about wheels or anything like that, um, unless. I mean, you said just verse 10, right? So, yeah, I I don't see anything that would give us a, you know, uh, a conclusive uh, piece of evidence that would, that would, that would prove that. Kingdom Concept says the word the word wheels in Hebrew in Ezekiel is Ophanim. I just I'm not quite understand why you would quote Enoch sixty one ten. Again, I don't want to get into too much right here, but because I'm actually way be, I'm actually way behind schedule to be honest with you guys. I'm actually way behind schedule. Interesting. Yes. The word for wheel is ofan, yeah, ofan. So ofanim would be Hebrew for wheels. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, so thank you for bringing that out there, uh, Kingdom Concepts. 
Uh, I'm going to look more into that. Thank you very much for uh, for bringing that to our attention. All right. Um, again, I can't answer. This will be the last question I answer. Okay, last question. Uh, are addictions always bad? Unless you're addicted to being holy or being, you know, righteousness or, you know, things that God wants you to do in the, in the Torah, that kind of thing. And yes, they are always bad. All right, guys. Thank you again, uh, Going North, for, for asking questions. And thank you for your questions. I appreciate all you guys. Be blessed. I will see you tomorrow night. Looking forward to it. Remember, 7 p.m. Eastern. I don't know how that translates into your time. If you're ever, if you're in a different part of the world right now and you want to know how to translate that in your, into your time, just look up like New York time. New York time, 7 p.m. tomorrow is when we're going live and we will have, Lord willing, Dr. Robert M. Price with us, New Testament Bible scholar. And I'm going to be asking some questions to him and we're going to be talking about some very interesting things. Do not miss it. Do not miss it. B, uh, G-Man says, okay, y'all, let's let the brother call it a night. Tomorrow's another day. Shalom, everyone. Thank you very much. Shalom, brother. And shalom, kingdom concepts. Thank you. All right, guys. As always, you guys are awesome. Thank you for your questions, your comments. Thank you for your fellowship uh, on every platform here that, that's uh, listening. Going nowhere says, have a good night, Christopher. Thank you. You too as well. Blessings multiplied to you guys. I appreciate every one of you guys. Okay, we'll see you tomorrow night. As always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen, amen. See you tomorrow night.